Second Timothy uh, chapter three and verse eleven. Second Timothy three eleven, and then we're going to continue our study there of uh, really uh, just applications to the last days. We saw the revelation of that as we went through the Olivet discourse. Then we saw one of the reasons for um, uh, the problems of the last days. And the second part is James, the fifth chapter, and that's the rich of the last days. Specifically have a role in bringing about various things. And it's interesting as we even watch the news anymore, it's very easy to see how the (coughs) rich and the super rich of this world have contributed to the decadence of this world as well. If you look at the 50 richest people in in the world, you're going to find the vast majority of them are not believers at all, and a lot of them are avowed atheists and humanists. So uh, that's interesting that it is stated there. In the first book of the New Testament, the little epistle to James, and uh, it's a pretty good section of prophecy right there. Now we are in 2 Timothy 3, and this is uh, specifically given by Paul because it's not just the rich of the last days, it's the rebellious. So it's not that you can blame the rich for everything because the, the rebellious are those that, that are not necessarily rich, but they have fallen prey to the thinking of the world, the world's standards, the world uh, lack of standards, if you will. And so we've been looking at 2 Timothy 3, and as we noticed, first five verses had 20 things in it that were characteristics of the last days. And so as you look at the characteristics of the last days, and then you move on, you find out that they are manipulators. They become very good at it. They appeal to intellectualism, make you think that you're smarter than uh, people are smarter than they really are. And when they do that, they're interposing various worldviews that are not in alignment with the Lord. And we are we're seeing these preparations and, they, and getting ready for uh, persecution and, and the things that are going to happen. So what, are, what areas are we supposed to fight? Well, that's what we're looking at here. Before we begin, let's take just a couple minutes for silent prayer and uh, be sure we prepare ourselves to study God's Word. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your test. And we pray that you'll just be with us in every single way. We ask, Father, that you would lead and guide us. We pray the Holy Spirit will help us to understand and remember Uh, that which your word has to say. We pray the Holy Spirit would also uh, grant us recall whenever we need it to be able to apply it in the right way at the right time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are at uh, 311 right now, and what we have seen is the uh, intellectualism, the manipulation, and uh, basically how to handle the facades. It is a facade of Christianity in the last days. That is verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And that's what we have with uh, a lot of cases really all over the world. Holding to a form. It just looks like it, talks like it, but um, 
Like the Lord said of the Jews, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away. It's not the real deal. So what we find is how do we go about handling the facades? And in verse 10, we saw last week was hang on like Timothy. In other words, look at, uh, look at what he is doing and persevere. Uh, in the last days, that's a, a big part of it. Persevere doing the right things. Uh, I saw the movie, we watched Unbroken the other day, and uh, Unbroken is about uh, Louis Zampezi, a prisoner of war in World War II, and uh, it was quite a story, it was an amazing story, and basically his brother told him, if you can take it, you can make it, and so he decided he was going to take it one way or another, and after 47 days adrift out in the ocean, see Paul only had two days out in the ocean, but Louis was out there for 47 days out in the ocean. He was rescued by the Japanese. It immediately moved him into a very into a series of prisoner of war camps, and uh, gave just the movie gave just a little taste of what really went on. The um, Japanese in World War II as some of the most inhumane things that have ever been done to another human being. And if you ever read an account of the Bataan Death March and what they did, it's absolutely nauseating. Well, he endured that, and that was his objective. He was an Olympic athlete, by the way, and he was one that had a toughness of mind, one that had trained for it, and he uh, decided, I'm going to make it. And they tried to break him, especially one commander made him his special project and never was able to, to, to make it. We need to have the same attitude in the last days because it looks like uh, if we listen to only the media that we might as well just give up and check in and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die or are raptured. So, but that's not really the way to end up our Christian life. We saw that in, in verse 10. In verse 11, it carries on. And it says that uh, persecutions. The persecutions is diogmas. The word diogmas used 10 times. And it's a word that means to pursue something. So it's interesting. Persecution is literally a pursuit of the righteous. That's what it is. Because the word in the... Uh, Greek and the counterpart in the Hebrew means the same thing, to chase after, to run after, with a purpose or an intent of doing harm. And it carries on the list in the last verse. Now, the New American Standard made it a whole new verse, put a capital P on the front of it like the end of the sentence, but it's not the end of the sentence in the Greek. It continues on with a definite article and a noun, and now we are at actually number seven, the persecutions and the sufferings, but pathemasis is used 16 times. Sufferings, interestingly enough, is a word that can refer to both spiritual and physical sufferings. When you track down its use, you can see that clearly it involves uh, physical sufferings from time to time where people, uh, believers, came under pressure and persecution literally by beatings and scourgings and all those things. But it also can refer to the mental persecution, the war for the soul and the battle for the soul. And he says, the persecutions, the sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch. That pathemasis 
word is, again, physical and spiritual. Now, what happened at Antioch? So, Paul assumes that, it, that Timothy knew, he knew, and if we've read the book of Acts, then we'd know too. It had, it's uh, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 21. And here is a pretty good example of uh, persecution. He was stoned. Now, not stoned in the hippie form of being stoned uh, at all, but this was rocks being chunked at him. So they threw rocks at him there in Acts 14 at Antioch. And it says, at Iconium, Acts chapter 14, earlier in the chapter, the first seven verses of that, they fled the persecution. So here Paul says, I've been an object of persecution before. And at Lystra, Lystra is mentioned in uh, six times. Uh, the other usages are Acts 14 and Acts 16. But nothing specific uh, is mentioned. Nothing specific is, is mentioned. And, um, the, uh, <laughs> and nothing specific is mentioned. So we don't know exactly what it was, except it met this qualification. He said, you know what happened to me at these various places, and it was difficulty. And he says, what persecutions I endured. Now, multiple words are translated endured found in the the New Testament. This word is hupafero, and it means to carry under a load. used three times. Uh, That's how it's uh, it's found. Interestingly enough, the word endured there to carry under a load is used in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Now, if you <clears throat> got a little book of promises, or a little thing of promises, this verse is probably right there because it says that he will not test you beyond what you can endure. He won't do that. And it's also used in 1 Peter 2.19. And then Paul says that out of them all, both the physical and the spiritual mental persecutions, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now, here's a little exercise in uh, words and what they mean and the distinctions made between them. Delivered is often translated uh, in the sense of salvation because this is the word real mind. Now, there are two words, primary words, rendered as salvation. Ruomai is one, and sozo, and its word groups, is the other one. It means to rescue from, to rescue out of the middle of, and hence to deliver. It is a, a word that rescue from means that you're in the middle of a problem. That's ruomai, and you're taken out of the problem. Sozo is a preservation from a problem. Now, that's what salvation is. Sozo is a preservation from what? Being thrown into the lake of fire at the great white throne. That's what it's a preservation from. But you're also in the middle of danger all the time. So there is that deliverance in that sense of a rescue from danger. It also hit me, too, is that part of the statements of the rapture about the deliverance that will come in the last days and things like that One of them talks about preservation from the tribulation and great tribulation where where there is massive upheaval of a little bit of everything. And then the other one talks about being rescued out of the middle of it. You're going, 
I thought we weren't going to be in the rapture. Is that a contradiction in Scripture? No. We're being rescued out of this persecution, the beginning of birth pangs that happens this side of the rapture. So we're getting just a little taste of what's going to go on in the seven-year time of tribulation, which we will be preserved from, sozo, but right now we're going to be rescued out of this. And it's, it's no telling how it bad it can get before the rapture, but it's nothing like compared after the rapture. Does not even compare. So that's the the contrast that we're getting, and that's the Holy Spirit's inspiration of specific words. And I I love to see those being a student of the Word and understanding that the Holy Spirit inspired whatever word He wanted used to be used there. Then I give respect to whatever word was selected and inspired in a in a different uh, within each particular context. And some people, just uh, some Greek students, some Greek teachers anymore, they just say, well, they're all just mostly synonyms. Well, when I, when I talk to other people trained sim- in a similar way to the way I was and, and having the same respect for Scripture, they see it the same way, that there's not really any true synonyms in the Greek language found in the New Testament. There's always a slight distinction between the words. And so I'm not the only lunatic that thinks that's the way it is. But a lot of times when people don't like the doctrine, they start trying to mess with it. It's kind of like if you don't like the Constitution of the United States, you start trying to twist the interpretations around. So we'll just leave it as it is and uh, go from there. So it says, he says, What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. So Paul had been saved in that sense because the words used and translated saved at times, he said, I was pulled out of the middle of that, out of the middle of persecution. Now, the faithfulness of the Lord builds hope for the future. That's what happens. See what Paul's just saying? I've been in the middle of a lot of different things. He was stoned, shipwrecked, we know, beaten, 2 Corinthians 6 gives us a partial list of what he went through. And that was at 56 AD and he had another six or eight years of his ministry. So there's a, a list of the different things Paul went through. And he said, God took care of me all the way. So how are you going to look at persecution? The fact that you're still drawing breath today is the fact God has delivered you. He has. So when we look back at the past, we look back at Thanksgiving. We look back with thanksgiving. God has delivered us. Now we know that the spiritual persecution sometimes can get us or take us off base for a while. Maybe lead us down the wrong path. And we've got to make adjustments. And we've got to get back on the, the right path and head the right way again. But the faithfulness of the Lord. He is faithful even when we are faithless. 2 Timothy 2.13 found in the preceding uh, chapter of this book that Paul is writing in right now. Now, <clears throat> determine to take it and you can endure it. Just like Louis Zampezi. Think of and Zamperini. I've heard, which one is it, Seth? Okay. I, I knew it was a Z-A-M. And uh, lost it there. And I need to have the respect for that man to learn uh, the name correctly and uh, refer to him correctly. But determine, he, his whole mantra, if you will, if you can take it, you can make it. 
And that's the way he viewed things, that he endured some really bad stuff. Concerning rescues, and take just a, a look at rescues here, because where's this word ruom I use? It's a, it's a beautiful word to just snatch you out of the middle, and that's what the rapture's going to be. We're going to be in the middle of a persecution. It doesn't mean the world has fallen apart totally and completely. There's still going to be structure to it based on other prophecies. Because when certain things happen, it says they sit at the table. They spread the cloth. They're still eating out. They're still marrying and giving in marriage. They're still doing very the things that we normally do. But the persecution has increased. And so it, uh, <clears throat> it, we, when, when things are going on like that, we're going to be pulled out of the middle of the mess that this, this world is in. And the Lord had to let it go, I believe, far enough that people would know it was him whenever he came back and and so maybe they wouldn't get uh, the rapture wouldn't be written off as alien invasion because you you know that's where they're already planning for that the aliens came and took all those idiots away we're glad they're gone you can just almost hear some of the news outlets coming along well those Christians they're gone now because some of them view us as the enemy they view us as the enemy. Now pray for spiritual deliverance. Pray for spiritual deliverance. Matthew 6.13 See if we look where the word is used. What we do is get specific directions. I find Paul praying for deliverance. And so many times we as humans as believers. When we start thinking about deliverance. When we start thinking about healing. When you hear the word healing. Do you think physical or spiritual? I think we all think physical, right? We pray for healing. We pray for physical healing as a rule. And that's what a lot of our prayers are. For physical healing. And praise the Lord, He does do that. But we should be just as intense when it comes to spiritual healing. Whenever we get off base. When a loved one gets off base. And Paul is saying, and in fact there are promises that deal with that the effective prayer of the righteous man availeth much. We have promises that go along with that. And, and that call for the leaders of the church. Anointing with oil. The James 5 passage that goes with that. It states it as a promise. Huh, interesting. How is the promise fulfilled when people die? Because it's fulfilled when those things are followed spiritually. Lord's more interested in our spiritual health than our physical health. Because oftentimes the physical health is what leads us to finally get our spiritual life back together the way it needs to be. The spiritual well-being. Healthy, sound doctrine is a, a word that means healthy. It's healthy. It's good for the building up of the soul and the body of Christ. So he says, <clears throat> Matthew 6.13, Do not lead us into temptation. We know what that is, right? The Lord's Prayer. Deliver us, rule my, from evil. We're in the middle of evil, right? Didn't Paul say, if you want to escape the evil in the world, you have to leave the world? You're, we're in the middle of evil right now. And part of our prayer is, deliver us from evil. Help us to rise above it. Help us to stay out of it. Part of my prayer for my family and kids and you is that, that the Lord will protect us from from evil 
protect us all from evil. Because we all need that protection from evil. In an unrighteous nation, the innocent suffer. So we better just be prepared for that. But we pray for one another that, that all be protected from evil. The next one is give thanks for all deliverance. Thanks for all deliverance. Have you uh, ever started to change lanes sometimes and somebody actually got in your blind spot? And you just, and you're, you're starting to, to move over and then something just, you know, you don't know what it is. Something says, don't do it. Look again. And then somebody's right there next to you. Okay. I see that as the Lord at work. Now sometimes he lets us go ahead and do stupid things. No doubt about that. But I see that as him at work. I've had so many close calls on the roads over over a long time, 55, 60 years. Uh, not 60, but <laughs> I've had so many close calls on the road. And that's a deliverance of the Lord. You have to give him the credit for it. Um, sometimes if you'd have been in a different place at a different time, you'd have been um, within minutes, you could have been hurt real bad. Uh, Leonard and Elizabeth Chandler were at a 7-Eleven station down in Moore, May 3rd, 1999, which a lot of you remember that date with that uh, massive tornado. And uh, they got away from there. They saw it coming. They got away from there. And within five minutes of when they got out of that gas station, the station was destroyed and people were killed. I mean, it was a deliverance. It was an awareness. It was, how, did, how, how does it happen? You say, well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? But that's the way the Lord works. His ways are not our ways. They're so much uh, higher. Second Corinthians 1, We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, <clears throat> which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, and we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves but in God. Paul is saying, <clears throat> we thought we were going to die. Okay? We thought the Lord was getting ready to call us home. But in God who raises the dead. So in a sense, Paul had died. He thought he was already dead. But he really didn't. And God who raises the dead. And who delivered us. Rule my from so great a peril of death. And he will deliver us. Rule my once again. He on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us. So he has pulled us out of the fire. More than one time. And that's what he's. That's what he is saying, and that's what Paul is giving praise to. And he is, you know, right in this verse, he, he's reminding Timothy, look at what the Lord has done in your life in the past. The greatest deliverance we see is from Satan's kingdom. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Wow, rule my. Where do we live in this world before we were saved? In the domain of darkness. Satan was the ruler. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now that's such a, a beautiful picture of being in Satan's kingdom and being snatched out of it by the Lord the moment you put your faith in Christ. Now that also guarantees we're going to be delivered from God's wrath. Now, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay? We're right there for the wrath ready to be poured out upon us, but he rescues us out of it. Now, how could that be true if we don't go into the tribulation? Because the birth pangs have started this side of the rapture already. Also, we have confidence that God will deliver us from evil deeds. Now, Paul writes about this near the end of his writing in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, this is where he, most people believe he wrote 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy closed out the books that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And here, near the end, he is getting ready to say goodbye, and he says, in 2 Timothy 4.17, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed. Now what does that mean? Paul was beheaded. Did Was he delivered from every evil deed? Was beheading Paul an evil deed? I think it would qualify for that. And he said he delivered me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. What is he talking about when he says that? If you read that and find out how Paul died, you'd think, that didn't happen. Oh, but see, Paul wasn't afraid of death. So spiritually, he was delivered from that evil deed because that evil deed that he knew was coming, he knew he was getting ready to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He knew it. And so he was at peace with it. He writes about it in the book of Philippians. He says, I've, I've run into this before. They, they threatened me with death. And I say, bring it on. You know, to be absent from the bodies, to be home with the Lord. You know, if you want to send me on to the Lord, that's fine. If you want to leave me here, Lord, that's fine too. Whatever you got for me to do, that's what I want to do. That's what it means to be a bondservant. It's exactly what it means. He has surrendered to the greatness of his master, who is the Lord himself. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed. Paul had the confidence, and it was a fact, because that's what happened. And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at some of the last words that Paul wrote. Amazing, aren't they? He had confidence in the Lord. Not an arrogance about what he knew or anything else. But a confidence that comes from experience. Of watching the Lord work multiple times throughout the course of his life. And he knew that if he was going to be beheaded. And that's what the Lord had in store for him. That the Lord was going to use it for good to expand his kingdom. And he was at total peace with that. He had presented his body a living sacrifice. Just like he wrote to us in Romans 12. Present your bodies a living holy sacrifice. How did Paul live his life? Doing the same thing. 
Was he perfect? No. He openly admits to mistakes, fears, all of those things. He openly admits to them. But he also is freely partaken in the grace of the Almighty. And he knows it. And he's comfortable with that. Now, the omniscient God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. He knows how to do it, but if we don't ask for it, this is part of the prayer life thing, the communication, the back and forth, part of the growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one full chapter before growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. It means, see, rescue to pull out of the middle of trouble. It's not saying you're not going to have any temptations in this life. But he knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. And how does he do that? He's, he's written us a gigantic book that we're called to study and learn and make a part of us and live by it. That's what it means to be a disciple. Not just full of knowledge, but full of application, full of love that goes with it. He says, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Okay, so here is the, the, the rescue with the test. 1 Corinthians 10:13. he will provide the means of escape also. Does that mean it's always a physical escape? It's the spiritual escape. People tend to, and it goes way back to the Jews, and it actually goes back to Cain and Abel. But when you go back, people look at what they can see, and they evaluate based on what they can see, and they forget this invisible war that is going on. And that's where the real battle is. That's where the real battle is. So, now... Verse 12 is uh, another great passage. Verse 12 says, Indeed, if you like promises in the Bible, here's one. (laughs) may not be one we like to read. Indeed, all who desire. This is an inward motivation. Thelo is the word. It's a present participle. All who are desiring. This is your, your... uh, ongoing lifestyle to live. Zao, that's just a main. That's a general word for life itself. All who desire to live godly, godly is usabos. It's an adverb of manner to live in a godly manner, and it looks at the way that we do things, the way that we think, the way we speak, the way that we act. To live in a godly manner in Christ Jesus. See, trying to live in a godly manner as an unbeliever is useless. Not going to happen. That's why he puts in Messiah, Christ, Jesus. Okay? He's got a name. And look at this. It's a future tense of dioko. The word means to chase after. Again, right at the root of what persecution means. It means somebody has intentionally targeted you. Okay? That is persecution. And it says, will be persecuted. Future passive indicative. Future tense looks and sets up and establishes a promise. What's the condition? You want to live godly. You want to live godly? What is going, what's your life going to be? Persecution. That's what this verse says. Will be. Future tense passive means that you're going to receive the action. 
Active means you perform it. Passive means you receive it. Indicative means it's a historical fact. So it's to chase after. It's a promise. It's stated just like other promises are stated throughout the scripture. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It could have put a subjunctive in here. Which it would have said may be persecuted. And it opened up the possibility of maybe you will, maybe you won't. No, that's not what it did. Future tense, indicative, historical fact. This is a promise, folks. So basically get ready for it. So to live in a godly manner is to devote your life to the Lord in thought, word, and deed. You want to get a real quick summary of godliness, use of boasts, and what that means? You devote your life to the Lord in thought, in word and in deed. You want to think the right things, you want to speak the right things, and you want to do the right things. And that just becomes who we are, hopefully. Now, salvation itself calls us to live a godly life. Salvation from the unrighteousness that we have as unbelievers to the imputation of righteousness. When God gives us his righteousness, Titus chapter 2 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Okay, to whom is uh, salvation open to? All men. First John 2, 1 and 2 says the same thing. All men. When Christ died on the cross, he paid for the sins of all of humanity, and that's easily proven. Although some claim that he only paid for the sins of the elect, certain people with it God had for predestined beforehand and all that. He says, here it is, salvation to all men. Everybody's got the option. Instructing us, those who accept it, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Okay, Because we have been saved by grace through faith, our life should be one that wants to live sensibly. Sensibly is a practical wisdom. That's what it's talking about. To have a practical wisdom, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, having the practical wisdom of how to survive in a culture you find yourself in and how to be a witness for Christ. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, those are wonderful verses. That says that we, as believers, as saved, saved and, and preserved from, uh, from the lake of fire, then it says, how are we supposed to live? We want, it, we want our life conformed, not to the world, but transformed okay, into the image of his Son. To be more and more like Jesus. One of our prayers should be, Lord, make me more and more like you. That's what I want. I want to be more and more like you to be a witness to other people. Because to be, to, to think, speak, and act like Christ is a great witness. It's not a, about being uh, self-righteously holy or anything like that. It's about being a, a witness to what is, what is right. Now, persecution is promised to a godly life. That's what we just saw in this, in this um, 
passage that we, that we studied. If you're living a godly life, you will be persecuted. Now, persecution for the sake of righteousness is a blessing of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5.10. said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I have uh, conversations at time. The Sermon on the Mount is one of those things that theologians like to argue about especially dispensationalists, and they take it and they say, well, that's only for the age of Israel, and it's only for Israel. That's part of the arguments that they have. And, um, and also, it's only for the millennial kingdom. It doesn't apply to the church because it was given during the age of Israel, and so the kingdom is about the physical kingdom. One day they'll be established, the millennial kingdom on earth. So therefore, this, these passages... Blessed are the meek, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All those passages like that are only for the millennium. Now, my argument, I thought that at one time, but I never was comfortable with the thought. And when I was going through teaching Matthew one time, I hit, uh, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. How much persecution of Christians will there be in the millennial kingdom? The question I ask. None. So how does this fit the millennial kingdom? I say it instead that the Lord is giving us instructions as to how to deal with this life that we run into. Because persecution happens in every age except that one. It doesn't happen in the millennial kingdom. Why? The Lord's going to shepherd the nation through the rod of iron is what he's going to do. So it's, it's not that there's, there's not going to be persecution there. But if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, it's, it's a reward in the kingdom of heaven is what it amounts to. I think about some of the missionaries we run into. I think about some of the stories that we receive and the things that, that we hear about and think, you know, we, we, here we are over in the United States with our easy life. No matter how we have it in the, in the United States, it's an easy life compared to the majority of the world. And that's a fact. And I think a lot of us that uh, maybe think that we're God's gift to mankind may be carrying sandals for a lot of guys in the jungles of Africa in the Millennial Kingdom. Because they're the ones that really get out into the persecution and engage the enemy. People in northern Kenya that have had their churches, people walk into their churches and kill a hundred of them in the church. And what did they do? They had services again the following Sunday. That's what they did. Was that persecution? Yeah. Were they blessed? Absolutely. They're going to be blessed. We can't even relate to something like that. We hear about it occasionally in this country. But they, they don't even report stuff like that so many times over there. It's so bad. And then we have, it gives us empathy with the sufferings of Christ. Why does he let us undergo this persecution? The night before the cross, John 15, 20, he's talking to his disciples. Remember the word that I've said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. Because if they persecuted me... And they did. They will also persecute you. If you, 
if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. He's getting them ready, these 11 guys that are sitting there at that point in time, for their new role that is, that is getting ready to take place in this new age called the church. We're also promised the spiritual strength to, to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. This verse familiar, isn't it? But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Now, have you ever had a rough temptation? You go, Lord, I don't need... This is a promise. <laughs> he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Now, he says, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. Now, that's we, we start thinking about physical escapes, right? Like the book of Proverbs. When the wicked woman tempts you, run. <laughs> Get away. Okay, that's a physical escape. But it's not necessary. Some places you can't get away from physically. But the way of escape, the way of escape has to do with the way you handle it spiritually. And he will prepare you for that. That you may be able to endure it. The endurance of persecution is viewed as undeserved suffering. And that lets us experience the grace of God. There are passages that we find. Paul wrote one, thus you share the sufferings of Christ. What does that mean? Thus you share the... He did it all on the cross, didn't he? What could it possibly mean? Does anything I do affect my salvation? No. Does anything I, I do uh, contribute to what he did on the cross? No. Can't do that. He did it all on the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. What's it talking about? When you are persecuted for the cause of Christ... You get a little bit of empathy with what Christ underwent for us. When someone calls you names, when someone slurs you as a Christian, when someone laughs at you, mocks at you, scorns you, if you tune into some news thing or something like that, and it's talking about those crazy Christians once again and goofy Christians, have you noticed the only things that make the news, not the good things the Christians do, they, that's often safe for secular humanists that do good things to help out people. But the churches do a lot of good things to help people. They don't make the news. But what about one screwball that goes out and messes up? He'll make the news. He'll make the news. Or she will make the news. Why? Because they want to mock us. He says... <clears throat> For this finds favor, for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you patiently endure it? Well, if then, when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. So if we're, if we're undergoing deserved suffering because of something we did because of sin, that's one thing, but that's, that's not where the rewards are found. When you suffer unjustly, 
and endure. That's where the rewards are found. Because you have been called for this purpose, it says, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. Wow. So that means that we endure suffering for the cause of Christ. And the more painful it gets for doing that, the more we realize what Christ went through for us. And it's just a taste. Thus you share the sufferings of Christ. Thus you experience God, if you think about it. What did he feel? He was pure humanity. Do you think he liked that? The Bible says he didn't. He endured the cross, despising the shame. But now he sat down at the right hand of God. Whenever you bear up under undeserved suffering, then the Lord's going to bless you for all of eternity. So why do we still have persecution here? It all interconnects into the angelic conflict. It's all got a role to play in the angelic conflict. It's uh, far beyond our pay grade to fully understand what and how, but what we do understand is that you bear up under suffering, it's, it's good, and the Lord never forgets it, and you'll be rewarded forever for it. That's what we know for a fact. How is he going to use it and work it all together for good to those who love God? See, if you love God, you'll keep his commandments, and you will not deny him. And he will work that together for good. How's he going to do that? We won't know probably this side of eternity. Occasionally gives us a little glimpse into something maybe we did 20 years ago that affected somebody positively and they've turned around and headed in the right direction. And we might get a little glimpse of how the Lord has used it. That's amazing to even think about. But that's what he does. That's, that's his business. That's what he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your tests. Thank you for your opportunities. Thank you just for your word once again that in the middle of a uh, crooked and perverted generation you bring us hope and comfort and encouragement through your word. Father, you promised us persecution. But Father, also you promised us the means to get through it. So I pray whenever the persecution hits that Father the Holy Spirit will bring to mind those things that help us endure in, in, for your sake. We ask that this will happen. In Jesus' name, amen.